0: We've looked at John saying to the church here up to this point. The Gospel of John writes about the events of Christ's life. But the first epistle of John writes about the way that those events are forming and shaping his people. John writes proclaiming the message of the Gospel, a message that is manifesting the Christ who John himself along with the rest of the apostles saw and heard and touched this message that was from the very beginning and has come now across time even down to us in order that we may have fellowship, not with the message, but with Him and the apostles and all that belong to Christ in the person of the Gospel that is Jesus Christ. If, um The Gospel of John puts forth the person of Jesus Christ. Then the first letter of John John puts forth the message about Christ and the effect that it has on His people. It brings about a fellowship not of legalism, of sinless perfection lest we prove ourselves to be liars nor in the lasciviousness of saying that God has no concern over our sin lest we make Him out to be a liar. But instead... A fellowship that is based on a relationship of abiding in Christ. And John's just going to keep coming back to that topic and that touchstone over and over and over, even as we see him do so tonight. Abiding. The idea of being somewhere where you are at rest. Abiding that is after the manner of Christ resting in the Father that begins with the gift of love for Christ and that moves into manifestation in obedience to His commands that proves we are disciples, Christ's joy, that Christ's joy might be ours. This is exactly the same topic that John is going to repeat over and over throughout the letter. It's going to be the same topic that he speaks on tonight. But when we do sin, we have an Advocate, Jesus Christ the Righteous, who is indeed interceding for us. Literally getting between us and God for he is the only mediator between God and man because he is the propitiator not only for the sins of the Jews but indeed that of the whole world of all peoples and today John will once again turn his attention to knowing that we know him In 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6 which he walked. John is once again writing about the assurance of knowing God. Now right here I would like to take just a moment to give you a little bit of a hermeneutical reminder about the first letter of John. It's an important one. As much time as we spend in narrative and didactic text, and we should because they make up the bulk of the New Testament. Uh, as much time as we spend in narrative and didactic it's a fancy word that means instructory text uh, texts that are designed to instruct uh, i think textbook or owner's manual that sort of thing Um, all the epistles of paul pretty much fall into didactic texts when you think about the gospels they fall into narrative texts that give the course of factual history as much time as we spend in those and we should because they're the bulk of what's there um we have a tendency to get locked into a thinking like we're always reading something that is written in the form of a textbook or a history. And the reality is in in the epistles, the minor epistles sometimes were not. And that is the case with John. So I would remind you that this is not a formal didactic letter. Instead, this is an informal letter. This is a letter between people who are comfortable with each other and are comfortable about the subjects of which they are speaking. We have to make sure that we read it that way. John's going to repeat himself a lot. He wants to drive home the point. He wants people to know that they know and not just in any particular way. As a matter of fact, the word to know gets used over 40 times in the first epistle of John even as short as it is. And he almost always uses the same Greek form and it's one you would be very familiar with from when we preached the Gospel of John years ago. It's the word gnosco. The greeks have a lot of different ideas for knowledge and they're very specific and gnosco is an extremely important one you now we look at a lot of nuances on on language here at mount zion and and uh, i think that's good most of the time you don't need to memorize any of that stuff as long as you understand the concept but kind of like agape and logos genosco is a word that's worth understanding it's a word that's worth knowing it's a word that's worth kind of having in your card file Your Rolodex, I think most of us in here tonight are still old enough to remember what a Rolodex is. Uh, it's, uh, it's, It's a good one to have because it's not talking about intellectual knowledge, it's not talking about analytical knowledge, but instead it is speaking about personal knowledge that is gained through experience. Or what we would typically refer to as intimate knowledge. So it's not just knowledge because you know the facts, but it's knowledge because you've been there, you've done that, and experienced what is being spoken about. And so here John is writing and he says, and by this we know. Not because we were told by somebody else. Not because we read some facts in a book. Not because we were convinced by somebody smarter than us that indeed this was the truth, but because we have first-hand intimate experience of the topic personally. What John is writing here is a very personal letter about very personal topics. And by this we know, we know that we have come to know Him. Not only is John speaking about personal and intimate knowledge, but he's speaking about a double dose of personal, intimate knowledge. That we intimately know, that we intimately know Christ. That is to say, that there is an intimate relationship that we have with Jesus that is based on our personal experience with Him. And because of that, then we know intimately in ourselves, because of other things we're going to look at just in a minute, that we have that intimate relationship. Several years ago, at, my colleague's probably been 10 now, I had the opportunity to preach at a, at a kind of a hybrid day camp preaching conference that Cliff uh, Baptist did uh, up in Fort Smith. They didn't go to camp that year, so they had camp-like activities all day long, and then they had preaching uh, for the for the entirety of the, the church with dinner each night. And the the, uh, the theme of the camp was based off this passage out of 1 John, and it was called Know That You Know. That was the, the theme for the whole week, is, is how do you know that you know Jesus Christ? How do you intimately, personally have an understanding that you are intimate and personal with the Savior, the propitiator of the sins of the whole world? And the answer is most assuredly, not analytically. And this is is a very specific kind of... We would love it to be analytical. Humans love analytical things. I, I know I do. I find a lot of Kind of certainty and confidence in them. I like things to be tightly defined and, and neatly packaged. And who doesn't? You know, it gives you a lot of understanding about what you can do and what you can't. You know, no, no tensile strength is important. once you know how far you can push them, You know, wh- whatever the case may be. Um, when I when I was still working for Burt Pools, um, I uh, uh, I sold a, I sold a spa to a, a guy that was a wrench. It was a mechanic. who got it hair. And when, uh, when I was talking to him about a spa, I kind of going through the way that, that he set the things up, um, uh, hot spring spas use, a, use a, a circulation pump that is a magnetic field drive pump, which uh, basically what that means, is that sounds really fancy, uh, but what it means is you've got a magnet over here and a magnet over here, and the magnet over here is attached to the... The impeller, the fan that moves the water and the magnet over here is attached to the shaft on the motor and when this magnet spins, there's enough of a field that it causes the other one to spin. And the beauty of that is you can have a pump that doesn't have a shaft seal, and those shaft seals mean very unlikely to leak. Unfortunately, it also means you have a pump that doesn't have a lot of startup torque. They slip. And so if you don't get them completely purged in all the air out of them, then they will vapor lock on them, and they just won't move any water at all. It's one of the things you have to know if you're going to own one of these tubs. going through the setup procedure with a guy, you tell him, look, man, you have to burp this thing in this way. And if you don't, it's going to say it doesn't have any flow over the heater core, and it's going to trip the high-limit switch, and you're going to call service, and we're going to send them out, and they're going to charge you because there's nothing wrong with it, and you didn't do it the right way. And so at this point in time, he tells me, he said, "I'm I'm very well burst with uh, mechanical flow charts. And I said, okay. And he said, well, this is what I do for a living. I'm, I'm a mechanic out here at TAC Air, and he tells me this story about a local corporation. Uh, we'll, we'll keep the names out of it. A local corporation had a, a business jet, and they flew it to another location uh, where TAC Air wasn't taking care of it. They got there, and they got ready to take back off and come back home, and uh, they could not get a positive light on their gear. I told Patrick this story the other day. we were working on our sure. air conditioner. and that didn't work for us, but we tried. We finally figured it out. Um, couldn't get a positive light to come on for their gear, and they spent days, and then a week, trying to figure out why. And they checked everything, up and down, top to bottom, could not figure out why. Finally called in a representative from the manufacturer. They get there, and in about five minutes, said the LED's out. I don't know why. Now, if you know anything, I've jets, and I really don't, but I know this when they're down for a week, somebody, it costs them some money. They have them for a reason. There's a flow chart you're supposed to follow, and right there at the top somewhere is check the LED. Check the LED. If you do, you'll have intellectual knowledge that your gear ought to be safe. And they didn't do it. That was dumb. If the light had come on, they would have been extremely confident about the fact that the gear was working. They would have taken off without a second thought. Without anybody actually going down and putting their hands on the gear. That's what I mean. As humans, once we have a set of parameters set up, we are very comfortable even confident in analytical intellectual knowledge when really what we need is intimate, experiential knowledge, especially when it comes to things that are as important as our knowledge of our relationship with Christ. What, what John is not doing here is giving us a set a, a list that we can check off and say, if I do that, I do that, I do that, all my lights are on and I'm good to go. He says, no, if you're going to know this, you've got to do it by knowing this. There has to be personal, intimate interaction relationship. And so he says, how do you know? How do you know? By this we know. By this we are intimate. That we have come to be intimate with Him. And that is, if we keep His commandments. Now, when you first read that, you go, "Now, wait a minute! You just did this whole thing and gave this whole illustration about how we've got to have more than just intellectual knowledge, more than boxes we can check, and say because of this than this, we have to have personal intimate knowledge." And the next thing John says is the way that you that, the way that you are intimate with the fact that you are intimate with Christ is if you have done these things. How does that provide intimate knowledge of anything? You know, there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of commands, if you will, that we fulfill when it comes to other relationships we have intimate knowledge with. Probably the one that would pop right to the top is the one that has the testimony of Christ and His people in it, and that would be marriage. And so, you know, when you get married, you go down and to the courthouse and you get your uh, and you get your marriage license. And, uh, and you got to have a guy that's got their credentials on file and all that stuff, and you got to have the paperwork filled out. And a lot of people don't realize this, but I try to remind our... Young folks, when I hand them the signed license at the end, you've got 60 days to turn this in, or they'll put a bench warrant out for you. <laughs> and they mean it, and that's only a hundred dollar fine, but if it gets put out, when they stop you for speaking, you're going down the county until you can pay it. You gotta have that kind of stuff. You've got the ring on your finger and all those sorts of things. But when it comes to the question of whether or not I know that I have a wife, I don't have to go down to the courthouse and see if the document's on file. I don't have to look to check and see if there is a ring on my finger. I always thought when I was a kid, you know, my dad didn't wear a red wedding ring. Um, he kept it in a drawer because he was a machinist, and that's a good way to lose a finger hand or possibly your entire life. They didn't have the nifty little um, they didn't have the little breakaway silicone ones they had now. And uh, after a few years dad put on that pounds of the wedding ring wouldn't go on past his knuckle anyway, and so it sat in the drawer. Nobody ever had a question as to whether or not my father or my mother or whether they were Married. I always figured I'd be the guy that wore it everywhere I went, never take it off. Shoot, man. I take it on and off all the time, mainly because I don't want to beat it up any more than it already is. Analytical knowledge is not sufficient. you point to certain analytical things. Why does John say this the way he says it? How does keeping his commandments provide intimate knowledge of anything, especially when you have? Scenarios like Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 that says, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in heaven. And on that day, there will be many that say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? Man, we did a lot of stuff. We kept a lot of commandments. Some of them pretty impressive ones. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from Me, you workers of lawlessness. So if what we're looking for is intimate knowledge, then, then why are we looking to things that we can check, especially when there are people that do many of those things, perhaps someone, some that are more impressive than what you or I have done, and He looks at them and goes, no, nope, I don't know you. I don't gnosco you. I'm not intimate with you. I don't have any experience with you, and therefore you don't have any experience with me. It's because John expects us to know the Gospel of John. said before the key to understanding these people this isn't the first time they're being written to for most of them it's not time the first time they've heard John speak John knows them and they know him he expects them to have a background understanding of all the things he said about Christ before he would particularly expect them to have an understanding of the gospel of John where Jesus explains that the keeping of the commands that he is speaking about goes much deeper than simply doing, but instead doing that flows forth from a particular source and a particular motivation that is being. The thing is, is if you look to Matthew chapter 23, the reason that Jesus looks at these people ultimately and says, depart from me, I never knew you, even though you've done all this stuff, is because the motivation for which they are doing it, In Matthew 23, verses 23-24, through speaking of the Pharisees, and there's a whole section here. We can read the whole thing. I don't think we need to. Verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel." So here you have a group of guys. They were really intense, intense lawyers. They were really intense about the law. Man, we even tied on the Bill, but Jesus says you neglect the weightier things of the law. Well, why would they do that? Just up the page in verse 15, Jesus says, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land. to make a single proselyte. And when He becomes a proselyte, you make Him twice as much of a child of hell as yourselves. The children of hell will never ever be able to check enough boxes to be intimate with Jesus Christ. That's just how it is. You know why? Why? Because the children of hell aren't intimate with Jesus Christ. And what John is talking about that you can look at and know are things that flow first out of intimacy. Not things that flow out of somewhere else and then produce intimacy. But begin there. Begin there. The way that you know that you know Jesus Christ is first you know Jesus Christ and then it sounds simple, but it is something that Christianity has struggled with over the core well. It is things that the religion that is marked Christianity has struggled with over the entire course of its history. I mean we were struggling with this stuff seriously in a corporate manner by the third century. Where it was well, how do you know you're saved? Well, has you know, have you had communion? Have you had holy water? You know, are you in good standing with the church? Um, You know, are the priests happy with you? All of this sort of thing that ultimately led to, you know, the crisis of international faith in in the 16th century and the Great Reformation as we know it, and how quickly we return to those same types of things. Things that are analytical in nature that somehow points to intimacy when the reality is, is that it begins with intimacy and moves to things that can then be seen analytically and not the other way around. And so the problem with these people is that they can do and do and do, and they can check boxes and check boxes and check boxes, but it will never be enough because the sons of hell, no matter what they do, will never have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Before you can do that, you have to become the son of God. And this is, this is Romans chapter 8 stuff. This is God saved us when we were still His enemies out kind of stuff. The first thing in Christ that comes is intimacy that then produces things that are external that can be seen, which is exactly how Jesus explains it in the Gospel of John. So John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, once again, this is you know, this is John talking to a familiar audience about a familiar topic. And here's what they would know. In John chapter 14, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How do we know that we've come to know Him? Because we've kept His commandments. Well, why does that mean that we've come to know Him? Because the only reason that you keep them, the only manner in which you keep them, that proves this point is a keeping them that flows forth out of love. Not a keeping them that somehow produces love. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you." He will be in you. It's amazing to me how Matthew and 1 John have kind of coalesced into this thought today that man, the way that this all works is by the Spirit that is in you. That's as intimate as it is. That's as intimate as it is. As a matter of fact, you think you're intimate with your spouse? The reason you're intimate with your spouse is because the one flesh, according to Malachi, that is produced, is produced out of a union through the spirit and a portion thereof in it. And this is the definition. I mean, you think about that, you think about what it says in Malachi, that he is he is jealous over this covenant because it is a covenant that is produced. The two become one flesh with a portion of the spirit in their union. Well, what happens when you're indwelled by the Spirit? What happens when the reason that you love Christ and the reason that you know His Spirit, whom He sends, is because His Spirit has previously been with you and now will be in you? That is as intimate as it comes. In John chapter 15, verses 5 through 11, he, he says, Okay, when this is real, this is how it works out. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so... Prove to be My disciples. As the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love. Just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says, man, you want to know that you know? It's all about rest. It's all about resting in love and the things that come out of that. Just as I rest in my Father's love and therefore do the things that He commands and so prove to be resting in His love, so too will you rest in mine. In that, the Apostle says in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 2, whoever keeps His Word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. Now that's a statement. In Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way that He walked. There's an interesting little play of words here in verse 5. The definition for perfected here means to um, complete by reaching the intended goal. It's a little different than the word you see back in John chapter, chapter 15 that means to complete by bringing to fullness. Uh, but this is to complete by reaching an intended goal. A close relationship and not identical. But what's really interesting in verse 5 is this. is There's two verbs. There is the verb to keep. Whoever keeps his word. And then there's the verb to Perfect. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Keeps is in the active voice. That means that the person that is being spoken of is the one doing the action. Keeping his word. I love Christ. I abide in Christ. Just like Christ loves the Father and abides in the Father, out of that comes doing the keeping of his commandments. This is a thing of intimacy, not of intellect. By this we prove we're His disciples when out of love we do these things. And you get down to this verse 5. He says that the one who does it, He's doing it. Keeping the Word in Him. The love of God is perfected. Passive voice. This guy's keeping the Word but it's not the keeping that is bringing forth the perfection of love. The perfection of love is coming from somewhere else. If you were here this morning, I hope you know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from God Himself. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. He's the one that's bringing to perfection. Because the new creation is the miracle And when tempted by the flesh we fail in sin and need to have the advocate that is Jesus Christ the righteous often Satan comes in and, and accuses and attempts to deceive based on that and, and, and holds you up as the standard for the relationship instead of Christ up as the standard for the relationship and at that point in time it becomes extremely important be able to say amen to what John is saying and what Jesus is saying. And in doing this, you have proved to be my disciples. Man, you know that you know. But the question is at the end of the day, do you know Christ? And if the answer is yes, then there will be a pattern of obedience, a pattern of sanctification that can be pointed to that will give you confidence and firm footing in a day of doubt, accusation, and attack, it looks like this: 2 Peter, chapter one, verse three through eleven. There's ever a guy that had cause to need a, a firm foundation during time of accusation and attack. It's Peter. Peter writes this. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, the intimate knowledge of Him, who called us to His own glory and excellence. What have you been called to in Christ? The things that belong to Christ. His own glory and excellence, about which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is amazing to me. It is amazing to me that when people come for counsel because they've fallen somewhere into sin and they're being accused by Satan and he is just throwing the stuff at them where it's, well, what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this? They're questioning their own standing. They're questioning their own salvation and Sometimes, looking from the outside in, you may be questioning the same thing. The question that will set the conversation on the right path is tell me something, don't tell me what you did, tell me who you are. Tell me who you are. It's amazing to watch what happens. Who are you? Who are you? Are you the child of God? That has the, the intercessor? The one that's mediating between you and the, the, the just law of God? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? And if so, is he interceding for you or, or, or have you just been a liar and you need to come to It's amazing what you see. It. You'll see it go both directions. You'll see people crumble before you go, I don't know. I've been, doing I've been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and I can never get there. And you'll have people who go, you know what I do. Good. Good. Test yourself. See if you're See if you in the faith. Because by this we know that we know. All well, there other things we do. Comes from a place of abiding in love. It doesn't cause you to arrive at a place that's abiding in love. This is the confidence we have in Him.